Good morning uh, and uh, welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from ePartrade. I am Francis Savignan, the founder and CEO, and with me this morning, uh, Judy King, the co-founder. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Francis. Can everyone? I think uh, I see Jeff Hammond, our great host, uh, um, on the screen. So I think Jeff is going to pop up any second. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about y'all? Good, good. So we got your team back, right? After yep. the successful part one, we're doing another one, part two. That's very exciting. And uh, we had a very busy week too here, Judy, right? Yes, yes. Every single day we wake up and there's new products and content showcasing on here. We have Pit Boss uh, Jacks. They uploaded a new dirt jack. And then we have Pit Logic, and they're an app that's a race software for team management and diamond pistons so they're showcasing the rebel series so every single day there's new products on here it's fun to see it absolutely very good excellent so um i'm getting a signal from our producer rick keneski that we're going to bring our uh, gentleman uh, uh from pagid and uh, i see jim popping up uh, we should get mark and ian anytime soon and so this is going to be part two of uh, our great uh, webinar on breaks. So I see everybody on screen. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Excellent. So Jeff, Amon, uh, you in charge, and uh, we'll <laughs> see you guys in the next uh, 55 minutes. Well, you know, that's kind of a scary thought, but at the same time, I'll do the best I can, Francis and, and Judy. I'll just kind of like be, be standing in the corner in case I get in over my head here. But gentlemen, we're back together again. We started something, and unfortunately, I think we tapped the brakes way too much during the course of our, of, of our first presentation, and uh, we didn't get done. And hopefully today we'll be able to do a good job and get done because I think everybody should have realized how important everything you're, you're bringing out really is. And since the last time we've talked, uh, I've had a few personal experiences. I went to the racetrack, a short track out in, in Twin Falls, Idaho, and did a little bit of short track racing. And one of the things that we focused on, brakes, and trying to get a young man not to use them too much, but use them properly. So uh, I, you know, I'm really excited about being here. We've already got people uh, wanting to know about you know part one. And it's real simple. ePartrate does a great job of making sure that they take all of these webinars and they got them filed away, folks. So if you miss part one, all you got to do is go to ePartrate and they'll tell you how to find it and you can get, get caught up and be right up where we are today. So uh, since the last time I saw you, uh, Jim and Ian and Mark, what's been going on in your world? I can start uh, busy, uh, lots of racing series, uh, short track, lots of conversation. We actually with Wayland Tour guys the last couple of weeks, uh, they ran New Hampshire. There were some questions there with the other series. Um, a lot of road race stuff. Ian's been at the track. Mark's getting ready to go to the track. I'm going to the track tomorrow. So we're pretty excited. Okay, real quick. We've already got a panelist asking us, what kind of, you know, is this seminar focused on? I mean, to me, when it comes to breaks, I think it's universal. It doesn't matter whether you're a road racer. I mean, we focus so much on road racing because, you know, that's, that is the, you know, it's just as important as an engine. If, if it won't go, it's trouble, but if it won't stop, it's even more trouble. But what, to me, we're getting ready to go to, to Dover. We're getting ready. You know, we just come off Martinsville and NASCAR. I think across the board. And like I said, I was at a, about a three, eight mile racetrack out there. So, Brakes are important, whether you whether you've got a single piston caliper and you're running some kind of you know local short track, or you know, or you got the high dollar Brembos and APs and everything like that. So, uh, you know, I think that's the thing. Am I right, guys? I mean, am I hitting on yeah. like I need to be? Absolutely. I think uh, as to what what we're focusing on, we're not focused on anything specifically for these guys. It's just general knowledge because it's universal. Every race car has brakes. And I think every everybody out there can benefit by more knowledge, simply put. Um, Mark, I mean, certainly tried every everything with wheels on it at some yeah. time or another. So, yeah. As you said, Ian, yeah, I've raced uh, stock cars, formula cars, uh, sports cars. 
and uh, breaks are, you know, unless you're on a, a, a big oval, um, breaks are very, very important every single lap. And on that big oval, they're very important when you need to use them. So you want to make sure that um, you're putting every your best foot forward when it comes to your braking technology, what you're using, and what works best for uh, the balance of your car, whether you're running ABS or not, um, whether you're running a boosted brake system or a typical racing uh, biased uh, uh, master cylinder setup. So it just really, really dependent. And I think we're going to cover a lot of that today. Well, let's make sure we do, and because again, I could not believe how much information we got into, and I felt like we still had a lot more information we didn't get out to the to the, the panelists and everybody that's viewing this thing. So, uh, Jim, you know where we left off at. So, why don't you pick yeah. up? And let's uh, let's get the ball rolling here. Part two of uh, breaks, and uh, I guess you might say. And if everything you want to know about brakes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I mean, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of step through a little bit back to what we covered, just some basic high view stuff. Ian's going to show a couple photos and then we're going to kind of dig into where we left off last time um, and just kind of get everybody up to speed. And if there's new, new people, as Jeff mentioned earlier, there is videos available on ePart Trade for part one. We're not going to cover all of that content, but we're just going to skim it and then dig into the second half of our uh, topics. Well, go for it. Okay. All right. This, this, this is part two, the three of us, same guys as last time. Uh, and really, we're just trying to cover what we didn't get to last time, to be honest with you. Um, and a real brief review on it. Uh, basically, brake systems are just an, brakes are just an energy management system, converting kinetic energy into thermal energy, and then until we can get rid of it, next straightaway, next light braking zone, whatever, and just managing the rate of heat, heat generation, storage, and dissipation is what's going to give you a predictable, consistent system. Um, where the heat goes, most of it goes in the disc. Almost all of it goes in the disc. So you've got to have enough mass in the disc itself and in the pad also. So the more the more mass, Jeff, you've worked on enough NASCAR where, where there's, the disc is 40 pounds on some of the cars for the short tracks. It's huge. So that's just giving it enough mass to store the amount of energy it needs to. But if you have too much energy for that mass, if you try to run speedway discs, speedway brakes on a, on a short track car, you're gonna run into problems very quickly. So uh, the things we talked about last time, and again, this is a super quick overview, uh, choosing the right pad, choosing the right co pad compound. There's six things to worry about, coefficient of friction. This is kind of a, in a steady state. So deep in the braking zone, how does it feel? A uh, bite is just your initial feel, how, how it transitions onto the brake. Uh, the plot shape is how the, how the brakes progress over time. Is it degressive, meaning it, it kind of fades late? Is it flat, where it's consistent all the way across the temperature range? Or is it progressive, where it gets more aggressive, gets higher grip as it gets hotter? Um, all, all dependent on what you're looking for specifically. Uh, pad wear, generally speaking, you just want to worry, make, make sure it race, lasts the full race distance. Uh, some pads have different characteristics. You can play, you know, pick and choose according to that. Rotor life, some pads are going to be tougher on discs than others. The higher the friction pad, quite often the more aggressive it is on the, on the brake rotor itself. So choose that carefully as well. Um, I think I've touched on it briefly last time was pad thermal conductivity. If it's a stock caliper, sometimes you can get it'll transition or transfer too much heat into the caliper body and cause brake temperature problems there with, with brake fluid. Um, kind of the end of my end of my program last time was basically watch your temps. Uh, the three color paint. I, I beat this horse, beat this dead horse like there's no tomorrow. Um, I like this system. I'm I'm a big proponent of it. I put it on a lot of cars when I'm when, if there's any questions about problems, I usually, this is my first go-to. Um, caliper temps can be monitored with, with little stick-on temperature strips. Uh, and checking the rotor temps in pit lane is really a good idea, even if it's a, an infrared, a cheap infrared that you might use on your exhaust header. At least you've got a reference point. So uh, that's my super quick overview. And back to Jim now. <laughs> yeah. So... Last time we got into this, and there was a lot of questions, but 
for today, a lot of the track day market, right? So the, the people that are going to VIR, Mid-Ohio, they want to enjoy their street car, put it on the track, right? So one of the topics that always comes up for us, and, and I've got some history, and this is ABS. So I've got a, a Gen 5 Camaro. I've got an S550 Mustang, and I want to go track that car. Um, ABS is black magic to most people. They just know it's there. They don't know what it does. What I'd recommend is for ABS, if you go through SAE, Society of Automotive Engineers, there's a handbook by Bosch. Um, and on that Bosch handbook, it talks about the theory. It talks about how ABS functions and how that relates to your track day car. So very simple. They got multiple pages for ABS, pages 964, 975 in, in the ninth edition. And then uh, I used an acronym, I realized that this morning. So being an engineer, uh, TCS, so traction control. So right, so traction control, wheel slip with the accelerator pedal, the traction control and ESP being stability control. So the theory and the overview is there. Um, and, and Bosch is willing to share that with you and other companies do that as well. So that's just the key thing. ABS questions, start there. Next page, please, Ian. So within the automotive world, Detroit specifically, uh, globally, there's three main players right now in the industry. They're doing stuff in the OEM applications as well in some of the motorsport activities. So these three companies really represent the big guys. I've got counterparts and relationships with all three of them through the years. Um, and a lot of them are gearheads. There's a lot of ABS calibrators in Detroit that are at the track. They're going to Mid-Ohio, back to VIR. They're going to local tr tracks in Michigan, Groton, Gingerman. So we are totally a bunch of gearhead guys at the end. So relative to the ABS theory control, so what makes ABS work? ABS is always using the wheel speed data. So it's looking at the deceleration rate of the tire. So in terms of the, the engineers that are out there that want to dig in a little bit more, on the left-hand side is just a chart. It's a new slip curve. So it's the, it's the relationship of the tire to the road. So obviously roads are inconsistent, right? You've got gravel, you have asphalt, you have rainy days asphalt, rainy days concrete. You know, people live in Florida, right? When you're in Florida and it rains in the summer, you know the road gets slick. Um, you're up in Michigan, you're on a gravel road, that changes as well. So what you have to understand is the ABS is trying to accommodate all the different surfaces that a vehicle will be driven on. So for the OEM application, so what's coming off the lots at the dealers, really what they're trying to do is they're developing a safety system. The ideal ABS calibration is to give the driver controllability steering to steer out of a difficult situation. Could be safety critical, could be just a general item. So that's what it's based for, to give you steering. That's the theory of ABS. Um, the calibrations themselves, so you know the calibrators are there. When they're going to the test tracks, going to the racetracks, they're really basing it off of the tires that are delivered by the OEM. So what does GM want to offer in a tire combination and a brake pad combination and a rotor combination in the brake system? So the calibrator is working within those boundaries, right? So within that, there is some tolerance, I'll call it, or variability that's capable with each ABS system. Where this really gets fun, and what's really the market that we're in, it's, well, we, we want to go racing. We want to take that Gen 5, Gen 6 Camaro, and I'm going to go to the track. So when you add race tires, they're stickier. They're going to grip better than a, than a traditional 200 treadwear tire or just a base tire. And you add a different brake pad, you are changing the characteristics of the wheel dynamics. So the ABS system will see a different control than it was calibrated for because it's, it's a closed box. It's not gonna reopen. So always have, people have to understand, adding race tires and adding rate brakes, sometimes is not the best thing for the ABS system. What's great about it though, is there are calibrators today and there are systems out there that are developed for the track. So I know for sure your S197 Mustang, your S550 Mustang, your Gen 5 Camaro, Gen 6 Camaro, C7, C8, BMW, M3, and on and on, they're going to the track these days. So the ABS modern systems of say mid 2015 to now, the last five to 10 years, they're, they're track capable, but they're still a safety system. First job of an, an ABS system in a car is to help that guy in a snow or ice condition. The last thing that Mark's gonna get into, we're talking about race ABS. So for the hardcore racer in a GT car, People are upgrading stuff, different series, WRL. Uh, we're seeing some other things right now. There are race systems that are made just for the racetrack. And that's an important thing. Mark, okay, I Kyle Watkins asked a question real quick before we progress here. X-axis is percentage of what slip? Of slip? 
So this, this data is longitudinal. So this is x-axis. So this is going forward. So this is the slip as the tire skids. All right, thanks. Yeah. So Mark, let me give us a little bit of information you've got on the ABS side. So I wanted to kind of go back a little bit and have a, a little bit, add a little conversation and of, of what you just kind of covered. Um, I see a lot of times uh, production cars turned into race cars. This is extremely popular right now with Lemons Racing, Champ Car, AER, um, all these series that are really amateur-based endurance racing, which is a great format, especially to get a lot of uh, new people involved in racing. Um, it also gives a guys like me a time to kind of go have fun with racing and it doesn't feel like work. But everybody uses these 200 treadwear tires, which are essentially a street treaded tire, but the performance level is quite high. We did talk a little bit, um, Jim, about, you know, you're adding performance, you're taking away weight, you're adding horsepower. And then at the same time, everyone wants to put these big brake kits on the car, bigger rotors, performance brake pads. And then they just remove the stock ABS system. And now you have a boosted brake system that has, and sometimes up to 70, 80% front brake bias through this boosted system and wonder why you just keep locking up. So, you know, know what you have with your car, understand like how it's designed. The, that production car was designed to operate with a certain brake balance alongside an ABS system at a certain weight with a typical tire and tire size. So if you're gonna be changing all those things, take in account of that. I always recommend people that are taking ABS systems off the car to put a more conventional racing brake system in just for safety so that they can adjust bias and get the proper brake balance for the uh, tire they're running, the brake package that they're running, uh, as well as the brake pads that they're running in the compounds that they run. So if you're not doing that, you, you really can't make any changes. Um, when you start to get into the race, race car systems and what I'm more used to in GT4 and GT3, the systems are so advanced and developed for particular tire package, particular condition, and even down to the, the track um, not just the configuration, but the type of asphalt. So when we go from track to track, we're making ABS adjustments in the car to maximize that slip, that balance, even to the point of relieving some of the brake pre pressure bias on certain brake pressure, a certain amount of brake pressure to allow, you know, better rotation in the car in the middle of the turn or remove some of that quick rotation. So that's how advanced it has gotten, but those systems are pretty much developed around a certain tire with a certain car. Um, so everybody, every manufacturer and every team's working on getting that balance co correct for, for, the brake, for that brake package for the car. So when you're trying to do it with a production car um, and more importantly, a street car that you're taking to the track, you should really do the research, as Jim said, find out what you have in the car, what its capabilities are. And before you go and change a lot of things in the brake setup of it, just know what you have so, to see if you can fit your brake package within that window. Because uh, it's really difficult to just change your ABS settings on a street vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist, right? I mean, that's the big thing. It's based on that tolerance or that parameters there. I mean, what I will say, a lot of guys now are taking out the ABS, right? So they're pulling it. Um, you got to put a prop valve in. If you're going to run a front rear split vehicle, you got to put a prop back in because the ABS unit is also part of the prop system for, this, for the base brakes or the standard system. It's a pass-through. So there's orifices built into the ABS unit. When you get into your front-wheel drive diagonal split cars, it's a little bit different, different situation. But fundamentally, you're taking an SN95 Mustang, uh, a Gen 4 Camaro, Gen 5 Camaro, you're going to pull that ABS out there. You've got to put a prop in there. That's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to reduce the amount of slip that's going to be generated by the rear axle because you're going to create an instability situation. Okay, real real quick. You know, I know you guys talk a lot here about, you know, the stock cars and what they have and being able to tune it in. How about let's go and talk just a little bit about local short track racers. And in their case, are they better off getting the gauges to get their balance, you know, from the calipers 
or should they have one of those onboard systems where they're able to monitor it during the course of the race if they want to know what, how much front and rear back, back balance they've got? Um, you got any feel about that, Mark or Jim or even Ian about uh, what's the best way to approach that? Because I know a lot of people got a lot of different thoughts about it. And I think a, a lot of people are starting to be more aware of it because there is so much information out there about how to make your car go faster uh, by having the right kind of brake package. That's a really good question, Jeff. And I, I think it goes back, especially for local short track racers, what their rules allow. Because once you start getting into brake bias percentages and calculating that for you on your dash, you have that technically is labeled data acquisition. And some of those short tracks don't even allow that um, at, at all. It, when I raced in Trans Am, it's essentially a road racing stock car. And I used the brake bias percentages corner to corner at some tracks, depending on um, you know, what tracks I was at. A track like Coda that has very long straightaways and very th tight threshold braking zones, as well as some very fast corners that you just need a light, little bit of light pressure to transfer weight to the nose. I would make small one to 2% adjustments lap, corner to corner. But on the local, local track, I think if you have that brake bias and the, the brake pressures and you know what it is, and then you can make adjustments in, you know, as, as you race and know that you know, a quarter turn to the front is going to help me here. And as the tires wear and everything, I'm going to need a little bit less front brake pressure to really kind of get the car to settle and entering the corner. You can kind of figure that out. And then just after the session, figure out where you ended up. And I think that's as data acquisition related as, as you're allowed in some tracks. Um, when I raced in uh, Canadian NASCAR series, we weren't allowed data acquisition only for testing. And that's pretty much what we had. We had the brake pressure adjustments for front and rear. Um, I knew where I was on threshold, but a lot of these local short tracks, you're not really at threshold braking because you're breaking down into a turn. You're just trying to transfer weight to the front. So you need to kind of find out what works best with the nose of the car to get that weight transfer down and, and how soon you can release the brake and let the car roll. And I think that, you know, having that brake pressure and knowing where you are is, is really half of it. Yeah. And, and Jeff, maybe to add, right. So a lot of the super late guys, all the weight model guys, the modified guys, right. Those cars come pretty sorted. So they're going to come with a proper master cylinder sizing uh, caliper setup that, that's there. So what then they're fine tuning and what we we're seeing right now with our calls to the frequent track marketplace is a lot of fine tuning the bias because they're realizing, okay, they're creating a little bit of an understeer, a little bit of a push, you know, so maybe they can run a little bit different combination Martinsville versus what they're going to run at, Shangri-La or I guess, you know, Shimong Speedway up in New York, they're going to try something a little bit different. So we're starting to get those calls now because the, the, the track, the circle track racer, because the system's set up, it's coming with that setup. Now they're trying to fine tune, as Mark described, the fine tuning of the ABS system in the GT car. Now we're starting to see the circle track community start to fine tune based on the friction levels. So that's where the system now comes in because now they're taking a little bit more friction, a little bit less friction and changing the bias front to rear. If the car get, got a lot of push, they're taking a little break up. If it's on break and the car's pushing up, you're seeing some guys now start to take, take the friction level out. So for us, we go from compound one to compound two to compound three. So we're backing it off. So that's also what we're seeing. That's get, it's getting pretty sophisticated. I'm shocked, not shocked. I'm happy that a lot of the circle track guys are getting more, more defined. And then ask the cup guys, they, they've got it figured out. But when you see it at the super late model level, the limited weight model level, some of the SK modifieds up in the Northeast, they're getting really good at this. Well, that was the other thing I was going to ask you was, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, we're getting some people curious about <clears throat> who's got what, who knows what about this. If they've got a question, I'm talking about, you know, people out there on our panelists, <clears throat> excuse me, that are listening to our deal. Um, where, where can they go? Can they call you guys and get help? Will y'all give information or help absolutely. Yeah, absolutely yeah so if you go to pagetracing.com um there's an info box um you can grab there's a phone number direct phone number there's an email address uh email address is info info usa at uh tmdfriction.com but that's all on the website um we've got all kinds of information for you guys i mean absolutely i mean for ian and i we live this uh we take okay. phone calls emails all day long 
and Mark, he's at the track and he's doing a ton of coaching. So Mark's also involved and engaged in the community a lot. Yeah. And you can, you can contact me through any of my social media channels. And um, I regularly help teams develop their car uh, from engineering services to uh, driver coaching, uh, data acquisition, just everything to maximize what they have available to them and, and give, put them in a better situation. So um, that's a regular thing for me when I'm not racing on the IMSA, IMSA series. Well, that's great, guys. So like I said, we've already getting responses that, you know, they really appreciate it. And, and the reason why I want to get that out there was I don't want to ignore their question, but at the same time, I feel like we got a lot more information we need to just, you know, be able to have an opportunity to look at. But yet I know they may still have a specific question. And if, if they've got a source where they can reach out and get that uh, question answered, I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about that. So maybe just to kind of touch on the, the yeah, the little bit of the trash control, stability control, right? So people have to understand, and we get a lot of questions from the track day market. Um, if they're leaving the trash control system on, that's using brake pads. Not only is it doing engine management and cutting spark and fuel, or changing the throttle position on the electronic throttle control, they're also using the brakes. And so what's happening is we're getting a lot of wear on the rear axle on the rear wheel drive cars. So a lot of Gen 5 guys, back to Gen 5, Gen 6, Mustang guys, um, they're using a lot of brake pad um, on the rear axle. So be careful now and be aware as you check your pad wear, when you've got traction control on, you're using pads up every turn. Um, stability control, same thing. Uh, the good thing is, is the modern systems have the ability to turn it off. So there's a, it's a driver input, it's a legal thing, because ESP must remain on by the legal standards of the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety. But the main point is, that if you turn it off, you have the ability to be more sporty. It's called track modes. Um, Got to read your owner manual. I'm not an expert on the owner manuals, but I can tell you what happens to the track. Um, it's quite a bit. And that does give you a little bit more of a loose feel. Um, we we kind of, Ian and I talk a lot of these guys. The biggest thing is if you're starting out and you're doing HPDE, high performance driving, it's always good to start, start lower. So even for us on the friction level, we, we kind of start them lower at the friction level and we work their way up. Same way with the, with the sport mode and the track control. Leave the system on. Be comfortable. Four, five, six days. If you have a coach, even better. Then when you're ready, turn off the button, and then you're going to use up a lot more tires for sure. And then this is just kind of all about what we do, right? So just, uh, just high level. Uh, Packet Racing, big company. Uh, we do a ton of uh, OEM applications under the brand or under the company of TMD Friction. TMD Performance, that's a very unique group uh, globally. Um, we got offices here in Detroit, Michigan area with a factory, as well as over in Essen, Germany and Leverkusen. Uh, we talk to these guys daily. So you'd be surprised when Ian and I are on calls weekly. Uh, we'll talk about maybe what Mark was doing and he doesn't even know it, um, but we're then comparing notes. What happened at Spa? What happened at Daytona? This happens every week, big collaboration. Uh, Strong group mid a company, uh, good guys, uh, a bunch of gearheads again. We are gearheads, it's a problem. Hey Jim, before we um, get too far off, I wanted to kind of come back and ask you a question. It's more of like a setup. Yes, you. sir. <laughs> but I, I also, having been in the situ situation, would like to know. Let's say I have um, a track day car and I decide I'm going to take it to the track, but I want to put really aggressive brake pads on it. Now this, this car may have a track mode, but it doesn't have like race ABS, but I put super aggressive pads, you know, because the thought mindset is I want to stop as fast as possible. So the softer the pad, the more aggressive, obviously the better. What does that do to the ABS and the dynamic of that car? So first thing it's going to do is obviously it's going to take less pedal effort to get more deceleration. So let's say you're always going to break at, at 0.3, you know, DIR turn one, going to make that right-hander. You're, you're, you're breaking at three. Um, What's going to allow you to do is a little, little bit, little, little less pressure effort to get the same deceleration or even higher deceleration. But what it does do, which is the counter effect for the ABS, the tire, the rate of change, the tire will decel decelerate faster than the calibration may have been if it's an OEM system. And that's where the ABS gets a little upset because it doesn't know if it's on asphalt and a parking lot or asphalt at a racetrack. And this is where everybody has different words, but fundamentally the ABS is trying to work around its calibration parameters that were put in place in the production market. 
Uh, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up because racing a lot of different production cars that were originally intended for the street, um, using a stock ABS profile, sometimes you get that very strange heavy pedal, not quite the same level of deceleration, a lot of kickback and interaction. Sometimes it feels like a pulse. So just from a driver's standpoint, you notice that. So it doesn't always mean that if you put softer tires on and more aggressive brake pads that you're going to have better performance because you completely change the parameter of where the ABS system is designed to work in, which is why a lot of people are ditching the ABS unit and running just their boosted brake system without ABS for a lot of these production cars is because they haven't found that workaround. And it's like, well, I, I tried to run this, but you know, it, the ABS is going crazy. So yeah. um, I think, I think that was one of the, one of the things that we talked about last time a, a little bit before that there's, there's reasons why this happens and there's workarounds, but just ditching that system is, it may, may not be the best answer depending on what car you have. Yeah. And, and a lot of the things that we've turned in when you, so now you're in the friction world with the friction world, you actually, in some cases will not be faster and not, will not have greater deceleration with the most grippy pad you're actually detrimenting the capability of the system. So Ian and I are heavily involved in changing sometimes different friction levels front to rear on ABS cars. So when the track day guy calls us, you know, everybody says, I gotta run a square setup. Well, so-and-so said, I can tell you with any ABS calibrator that's in Detroit or the teams I've worked with, we don't always agree with that concept. So it's a little bit of the, it's, it's a modern racing method. So with Mark, with his race car, He's going to go to the racetrack this weekend. I will be there. And I can tell you right now, they're not going to run the same compound front to rear. And they have ABS. So what we wear on the track and the professional level, IMSA World Challenge SRO, is the same thing we're applying to the, to the track day market. I was going to bring up the, the, the friction materials because I think we've got 18, maybe 20 different compounds in our portfolio now. But Jim was talking about you know changing from compound a to compound b to change the way the car handles on, on a short track for example but i also know a lot of guys will actually change the left front caliper relative to the right front caliper to change the bias or even put a prop valve i've heard rumors of people putting prop valves in stock cars uh to affect the way the car turns in how it handles how it transitions um, so there's a lot of tunability just in that side of the system anyway now, I can attest to the uh, tunability, especially to the right rear. You know, it's exactly. just it's just one of those little 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 balancing balancing deals. But you've also, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you you've got to be careful that you know you don't get that you mess up that balance because you know, the worst thing in the world is sometimes drivers lose uh, focus on where they are and they start turning the wrong way and then they compound the problem and then you're trying to talk them back out of, well, okay, if it's doing that, if it's starting to push more, you didn't dial way too much front brake into it, you know, and you got to sneak up on it. So it's like what I was hearing, Mark's kind of like asking, the one thing I, I believe, you got a level of drivers that you can do anything with because they can adapt. They got field and they can adapt. Then you have your weekend racers. You know, let's don't overcomplicate this thing. That's the reason why you have an ABS system, so that it can protect you from yourself. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing, I guess, that, that you guys are kind of like referring to, but that's the way I see it. And again, I love what the brake industry has brought into to the racing world because it's made us so much faster and given us an opportunity to sometimes take a race car that's not designed to do some of the things. I'm talking about stock cars or trucks, yeah. way too heavy, not enough tire. And you, you got to figure out what the right combination is to get some kind of uh, sanity on making the thing sit down flat. So I like the term, I like the term sanity, Jeff. I think you're absolutely nailed it with that. It's like once you, you, you have race cars that are just great for two laps and then you're just hanging on from, from there. And a lot of it is, is how well, what it's all about balance, right? So balance is predicted by a couple of things. It's predicted by brakes and tires and 
when you're on the brakes, the balance has to be right to be able to get in and let the car set. It's got to set long enough to where you can wait, you transfer weight without having to adjust it multiple times. And once you decide you're going to go, it needs to set once and, and go. And as, as the tires wear, it just gets a little more busy. So that's where you start to lose some of that sanity. I think um, a lot of times we talk about brake balance and Ian, Ian brought up a really good point earlier in the slides and it's temperature. And you really need to find where, what temperature range you need to work in with your brake package. And that's calipers and rotors. And the brake, the brake pads, the only really adjustable part of that. So having that, even for the weekend racer, having that uh, brake paint on the rotor and knowing what operating temperature you're at will really, you can just call Ian, call Jim and say, okay, I did that. Here's what temperature I'm at. I think I've got the wrong pad or do I have the right pad? And they'll be able to say, you know, you're going to benefit from this pad compound because it's made to operate in this temperature and here's what it'll do. And then you can kind of decide because you, you may have the wrong front pads and the perfect rear pads and you're struggling with a handling issue on, on braking that you can't diagnose. And it's really nothing but a brake pad change to really change the balance of that car. So knowing the temperature range that you are operating in is, is really, in my opinion, one of the first steps. And anyone can do that, whether you're a track day guy um, with a production car and you're using your stock street tires and whatever, you can do that. And I think that's gonna benefit you the most because the last thing you wanna do is get your car dirty or wear out the tires going off track or making any damage going off track because you just drastically overheated your brake pads um, on a track day. Yeah, I mean, that, that rotor paint, I think is like 20 to $30. You know, So the picture that Ian showed with all the rainbow for $30, I mean, you spent more on tires and brake pads than brake paint. The brake paint is a great thing. Hey, I must've got ripped off then because when I bought it at my local speed shop here in Charlotte, I mean, Mount Morgville area uh, to take out there with me. I actually bought something that did exactly what you guys are talking about, but the cost was a hundred dollars. Wow. So you got the special satin, special satin. You need to talk to somebody. Great thing. You got, you got, you got to get basic to to them, but at the same time, you don't need glitter in it. It worked. (laughs) Okay. But it, it, it really helped me that weekend because I had been told the young man driving the truck had been, overworking the brakes and yeah. put the paint on there and it wasn't the case you know and it led us in a different direction and, and it helped kind of get you know working on uh, a few things and the cool thing about it was it was all said and done we were able to get him into the corner comfortable but at the same time making it rotate through the center and get off and, and, it, and that to me what you guys are telling us that is the easiest and one of the cheapest even if it is a hundred dollars that's a that's a well spent hundred dollars because it'll last you for a long time time and it will give you uh knowledge you can't get if you don't have a lot of people going around uh with infrared guns and everything like that you can look at it it's it's a simple deal it's it's like you say those three colors will tell you more than anything else i know of on a race car uh what's going on yeah and and as ian said also the stickers on the calipers you you did both it's a a double hit you got the caliper temp and you got the rotor temp i mean it's both sides yeah I, mean, I I actually had somebody call me after they tried two or three different compounds of brake pad because they were having brake vibration issues. And I hate to say it's my uncle, but it was my uncle um, <laughs> who should know should have known better. But I basically had to talk him through finding somebody in the paddock who had the paint to paint his rotors and found out he was nowhere near hot enough to justify wearing using the pads he had. Mm-hmm. So he'd gone through two or three sets of pads and spent bought two or three sets of pads for a couple hundred bucks each and that that one paint kit would have covered all the information we needed and as soon as we figured out it was no go back to that pad you'll be okay and went back out the vibration went away the car was happier the driver was happier and ultimately lost about 400 bucks worth of brake pads but live and learn i mean cars are expensive so it's an expensive hobby Put it that way. <laughs> and and again, used to say, where money buys speed. <laughs> you want to go fast, dollars. spend more money. <laughs> Cubic dollars, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. 
So, hey, Jeff, why don't we hit some, I see there's a lot of questions coming in. I'm trying to keep up with them. Do you want to maybe yeah, go through a couple of years? Well, let's see here. Um, I mean, Kyle's been pretty active today and, you know, he's saying the same thing. He uses a, you know, prop valve along with uh, caliper or clip measure, max pass pressure. Not sure about today, but he also liked me. Sign me up for that $30. He paid $100 for his his paint kit. But uh, what about the, the specifications for y'all's, you know, racing brake fluid and dry boiling and, uh, you know, as far as boiling temperatures concerned and wet boiling temperatures, how often should it be changed uh, for track cars? And, and to me, that's something crew chief wise, it, I, you know, unless it's a super speedway car, I change it every time, every week. You want me? I'll jump on this one, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, brake fluid, like our brake fluid, I think is, I think we advertise at 330 Celsius or I think it's 626 Fahrenheit dry boiling point, which means right out, just out of a freshly opened bottle. Um, and I think the wet boiling point is just over 200 Celsius, uh, which is, um, let me do the, do the math real quick. Uh, it's like 390 Fahrenheit. But quite honestly, I never, I've never been one to care about the wet boiling point much because every car I've ever worked on, even my own track day car, I flush the brake fluid a little bit every single time I, I use it. When I was on a, when I was a crew chief on the race team, I we bled the brakes every every session. Uh, when I take my own my own, car, my own car to the track day, at the end of every day, because I've got to take the track tires off and put street tires back on, at that point I just run a couple pumps of fluid through each caliper, and getting any used you know overheated fluid out of there, so I've got fresh fluid all in the system. I probably go through a bottle, a half liter bottle of brake fluid a year on that um just as a matter of course and it's simply a case of it's convenient you've already got the wheel off why not why not do it you've got a brake bottle bleeder is 30 bucks um and a bottle of really good brake fluids 20 bucks if you if you're out looking around um you know but again it's it's cheap insurance boiling brake fluid is horrifically bad for you and for the car uh and expensive repairing all the broken parts. So it's, it's a false economy to, to not just put that little bit of extra effort in to, to a quality component. Yeah, and I consider brake fluid a component for sure. It's something to add for the ABS guys, right? So when you boil that fluid and you get, that, you get those bubbles in the ABS unit, you have a heck of a time bleeding. So you, got, you really gotta be careful. There's a lot of different options. Typically you wanna turn on the pump motor. So if someone's got the, the star tester, the NGS tester, uh, tech two for GM, you got, you got to bleed that system. And if you really get it hot and you, and your fluid's coming out of sludge, you got to bleed the ABS unit too. So static bleeds are great. Pressure bleeds are great. But with an ABS car, back to my Mustang friends and Camaro friends and Corvette friends, you got to bleed it sometimes with the ABS kit. There's a couple of different ways to do it. Uh, a little bit of the garage way. Um, let's say you, you do the static bleed, you go out, do a couple more ABS stops, put the car back up a jack stands, bleed it again. So there's a couple of different ways that people can do it, but ultimately the electronic bleed is the ideal way. I know there's people out there who do it. We get questions every once in a while. So just be aware for an ABS car, track day car, again, the bottle of fluid is priceless. You got to get it. You're crazy not to. Okay. How about uh, any thought about air cooling for eye of the rotor veins and you know rotor faces? You know, is there a big difference between inner and outer and rotor faces? I think this one too, I guess. Uh, unless Mark, I mean, this is this is stuff that I spent a lot of time doing over the years. Um, Take it away, Ian. Please, <laughs> please. Okay. Uh, typically, most most race quality brake rotor and and bell combinations, like two piece deal, have about a quarter inch gap between the bell face and the and the outside disc face. So a lot of times I've seen people that, that basically put a frying pan, if you will, on the inside of the rotor and, and duct all the air up through the veins. Well, you need to put deflect some of that air across the inside face as well. Otherwise you're gonna get a, a temperature differential inside to outside. So to me, it's always leave like a quarter inch or to eighth an inch to a quarter of an inch of gap between the, so the, the disc, if you will, is here and the, and the cover that you're using to duct the air to the center doesn't quite line up with it. It should just allow a little bit of air, air leakage across the face. That'll help keep everything cool. Uh, you still want the majority of it to go through the, through the disc center, if, if possible, especially if it's a, 
a directionally veined rotor. A lot of OEM discs are, are just simple radial veins, so they're not very efficient. Um, but it's absolutely vital if it's a heavy street car, especially. Uh, and an ABS car is going to build up a ton of heat in the brakes for sure. So hopefully that covers most of that. I think so. Okay. What else? I know someone had a question about the BMW E36 ABS. Some of the sanctioning bodies allow um, cars to retrofit an E36 brake module because it's standalone to other cars. Uh, as far as I know, that's not a programmable system legally, but there's electronic wizards all over that are probably can program it. But I would say, you know, running running the stock system in the stock configuration um, would be would be fine. And you can because it's not programmable and you can't really adjust it. You're really going to have to kind of work with brake bias and brake balance and brake pad combinations to kind of find what works best for that threshold brake and brake release to to not interact too much with the ABS. It's not that ABS is a bad thing. It's a very good thing. What you don't want is when you have a stock system, you want it to work in, in, in the threshold mode, the performance mode, um, as you would want if someone, a kid ran out in front of you with a skateboard and you had to stop and go around them. The ABS works, it doesn't lock up, it doesn't go straight, it allows you to turn. That's what you want in, in racing situations as well, while you have a lot of brake pressure. When you're in cars that don't have ABS and you add too much brake pressure and try to turn, locks up the inside front tire. Sometimes it'll lock up the rears, depending on, on what type of situation you're in. So that is that goes against the whole principle. So if ABS is working properly, that's that's a great thing. What you don't want is to be in a situation where you're going into those alternate modes where the ABS system thinks you're on gravel or you thinks you're on ice or you think you know, you're on uh, surfaces that you're not on where it may really inhibit the performance of the car and what, what you're trying to do with it. And sometimes you may be always working in those conditions and that's what you want to try to avoid. So if you're going to use that ABS system, you really, your, your options are to toy with, you know, your, um, your brake pads and what your bias is set at and, you know, all the things you have mechanical control over to make the ABS system work for you, not against you. Yeah, and, and maybe to add to the E36, there's the E36 unit, there's a couple other ones, I won't get into the specifics, but the point is E36 was developed 20 years ago. So the ABS capability at the time was made for safety, but the E36 unit has a lot of, call it, call it track DNA built into it. So the calibrator that did that job knew enough to put some of that tolerance in there, for a little bit better tire and brake pad. That's why the modern systems are better because they've developed that and they have that tolerance for a little bit better tire and wheel. So there are, there's a couple people out there trying to do some different things. It's possible. And all you're doing is you're just moving the activation point from the ABS. Say it was developed, say 6% slip, you're moving it to 12% slip. You're just changing the entry condition of ABS. That different system is still going to turn on. It's just a matter of how you get there. No, we kind of probably neglected this question early on in our, uh program but cody you know he does dirt late model racing and they say they have problem with their brakes all the time and, and i think a lot of people may be thinking well gosh a lot of times you guys only run three wheel brakes and maybe something even crazier than that so you know what's what's your you know position there you know jim what what can you do for if i call you up and i'm trying to you know can you talk me through can you address the dirt deal no absolutely Okay. We've got, we, and we've got some within our within our network of, of uh, friends and family. We've got some specialists in the dirt market. I can definitely help Cody. Um, definitely reach out to me, Cody, and uh, we'll take care of you. But there's the dirt world's different, right? You're 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 basically never applying the brakes until you need it. So what you do at Eldora Eldora can't talk today with a blue groove versus what you're seeing at uh, Knoxville, they're different surfaces. So a lot of guys would drag the brake too. So when they drag the brake, the, the rears get hot. Then what happens to the left front? You know. So absolutely, Cody, we could take care of it. We, we know what's going on in that area. Well, that's good to know because I think there's a lot of people that are anxiously waiting to see these big stock cars and trucks go up to Knoxville 
uh, for the first time and see how that right there works. So whatever they learned at Eldora, uh, yeah, you might've been on dirt, but you may want to rethink the, what you're approaching uh, when we get ready to go run up there in the near future. So um, I think it's, I think, again, I'm, I'm glad we're getting a chance to kind of complete our second part here because I think we're touching on a lot of people's interest and in trying to understand, do we have an application within your company that I can get some straight answers on? It sounds like you guys do. Yeah, I've, I've, I do a seminar at PRI every year and I've had everybody from every spectrum of racing show up, honestly. Um, and the dirt guys, I've had some guys with sprint cars with, I don't know, alcohol, 800, 900 horsepower motors with a brake disc on the back that I wouldn't put on my go-kart. Um, it does a lot of engine braking, but it doesn't do much else braking wise. Uh, and, and a lot of the short track guys have tried to have tried different styles of rotors, lightweight, heavyweight, thinner, fatter, wave straights. Um, and a lot of times if it's a, if it's a transitional problem, I, once it starts building heat in the system, uh, basically it goes back to the bucket analogy where there's just not enough mass in the system to, to take all the energy. It can't store enough to the next straightaway. It needs, a lot of times it's a mass issue. Um, they're just trying to lighten it up too much. And on a traction limited surface like dirt, sometimes that, that extra pound or two doesn't really make that big a difference on performance. It's psychological more than, more than physical. So um, keep that in mind sometimes. It's, you know, if, it's a, if it's something that gets worse over time, over the transition, over the length of the race, it's probably a heat, heat issue that you need more mass or more, more cooling or, or both potentially. So, you know, real quick, Mark, I mean, I, that's one of the things that we're hearing here in the NASCAR world about this, you know, new car tomorrow that's going to bring out in uh, 2022 is, you know, they go to these road courses and all of a sudden they're running two and a half seconds faster. I mean, one of the biggest, yeah. things is, you know, they, they, they've got the brakes to go with, the weight of the car finally and you know they, they were they're able to go back to what he was saying they've got that mass and they've got a way to to, to dis they, to dissipate the energy but not you know overheat the brakes i mean i can't believe what it must feel like from a driver's standpoint when you go from a, a car that like i say you get on the brakes and the thing just sits straight down it squats yeah. and yet you go into another type of deal when you let get on it too very hard the front end just wants to scoot you know so you can attest I, to this I, stuff. I think you see a lot of drivers, especially the younger drivers like Christopher Bell and Ty Gibbs and Jeb Burton, those guys running a lot of the TA2 cars, which is what I raced for the last few years. And those cars are a little bit lighter, but they're built for with more of road racing brake technology in them, still cost contained. And they'll get in those cars and it's like, wow, this drives like a, a, a race car. It's really hard to drive the Xfinity cars and, and all the NASCAR cars, just because of that weight and brake and tire situation, like you mentioned before, it's a lot of power, a lot of weight and a little bit of tire. And um, I think this new, uh, this new car is going to like, as you say, balance everything out and it's going to make the cars go quicker, but it's going to be easier for them to drive them quicker too. Uh, when, when they run the TA2 cars, they, everybody that says that that has driven them it's like wow these things are a dream to drive they're a lot of fun you can really um, drive them properly and i laugh because compared to what the gt3 and gt4 cars i raced the ta2 car is big and heavy and <laughs> and doesn't stop as well and, and it's it's kind of funny to to listen to the, the polar opposites that we get to work in but um i think i think all of those uh, i think it's going to make for better racing um, and certainly, uh, you know, I think better drivers too, uh, in the end when it comes to road course racing, cause it's, it's difficult to, to drive the cars as they are now, which, uh, it can be entertaining, but at the same time, the racers really struggle sometimes with, um, just as the tires go off, it's like, then it come, really comes down to strategy and it's just like, I'm, I'm excited to see how the new cars work. Yeah. And just to add to that, I mean, that new brake package is a game changer. And I think we're, we're all, you know, as a fans of racing, the Coda race coming up for NASCAR is going to be exciting, but Mark knows Coda is tough. One turn one, you're going up the hill. It looks all good. And then it falls off. It's off camber. When you go to apex into one, what the car is doing this year, what you're going to see next year. I mean, it, it's the rotor package is different. The calipers are different. The cooling, you're going from 16 inch to 18 inch. 
it is going to be a game changer and you got a lot going on around the chassis, but from a brake side, I don't think there's any brake supplier that works with major teams is not happy. We're great. We're, we're super happy to see more airflow, bigger rotors back to Ian's point. We've got more mass to hold the heat. The Martinsville situation will change in 2022 guaranteed. Now that's going to be a real interesting deal. And here, here's since Mark brought it up, I'm thinking a little bit of the opposite. All these guys that are cup racers, they're going to get spoiled. And if somebody's going to come along and say, hey, you want to come run a truck? Hey, you want to come run Infinity? Uh-uh. It ain't fun to drive them. We won't stop. It won't turn. So you, you're going to create I'll a do certain it. amount of saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to digress. I want them to progress. That's fine. I, I'll do it. I, that'll leave an opportunity for good old Mark Miller to jump in a truck. There you <laughs> yeah. go. I wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah, there is, there is one of these GT guys and the competitors with Mark, and he's been jumping back and forth, and he did a pretty good job at Daytona, but I won't say his name. But uh, there are some of those sports car guys can wheel an Infinity car right now in a truck, and they do a really good job. And it's, it, it goes back to the, to the very beginning, and I'll, I'll use this name with utmost reverence. You take Dan Gurney, you know, the Wood Brothers just show up out there at Riverside, and he put a whooping on them because, you know, he's just that talented, and he, and he knew what he needed to do. <clears throat> excuse me, that was before the days of even, you know, the good transmissions too. So he had the total package. He knew how to work the brakes. He knew how to take care of the equipment. And uh, again, that's, that speaks volumes of what, you know, experienced road racers can do versus guys who don't work at it. So guys, we got anything else here? We got a couple minutes left. Uh, you feel like there's something you'd like to leave, uh, uh, our viewers with and uh, it, as we get ready to move on, because again, I, I love what we got here and now we got our two part series done. So folks, if you missed the first one, uh, make sure you go back, <clears throat> excuse me, got tickling my throat uh, and, and check out the, you know, version one and see what we try to finish up on here today. There was one, one question about max braking performance and how you balance driver feel and comfort versus the rotor heat and other things. And that's something that I think is important. It's uh, from my perspective as a driver coach and trying to get maximum when you're at a pro level, driver comfort is the least important thing <laughs> when it comes to data. It's the last thing that should come. You, you work for what the, the parts on the car and the car is designed to do in comparison to what the tire performance is, the brake performance, because that's the only way you're going to maximize if another driver is more comfortable in that situation, they're going to beat you. So if you're not comfortable with a certain amount of brake pressure going into the corner, I, I look at it in my, in my point of view in GTD racing, we're using maximum amount of brake pressure. We're turning in because the ABS system is so advanced and the tires are so good and the aero is so good. We're, we're using maximum brake pressure in turning in and downshifting with max brake pressure. And, the, and we're expecting the ABS and we're expecting the technology of the car to kind of save us as we go in. But if you're not used to that and you're not doing that, you are going to suffer under the braking zones. So you have to take data, you have to take where that temperature range of the, of the pads working in all into account. And if you're not there, you need to make those adjustments. And if you're not performing as the driver to get that adjustment made, or if you physically cannot push the brake pedal hard enough, for example, then that's the only time that you would um, ch make changes to the car. Because if you're not getting full brake pressure, maybe the temperature is not in the right zone. So maybe you can run a more aggressive pad than let's say I would run. Um, and then it would change that for you. But yeah, you need to have all that data to get the max performance. And then sometimes you have to change how you approach your driving to take advantage of that. If you can't physically do that, or if you can't kind of wrap around, that's when you start making changes to make the driver more comfortable. And then you'll make, you'll have a benefit, but you'll never be at that maximum threshold. You just, you just can't be there. Well, thanks, Mark, Jim, Ian. <clears throat> really do appreciate this. Great information. As I say, ePortrait's got it there in their, in their files now. So if you got any curiosity about brakes and you didn't understand something, please, uh, Reach out to Judy or Francis, uh, anybody at ePartrait, and they'll be glad to help you out. Thank yeah, you, thank Jim. you, everybody. This was thank great. You.
you guys so the the webinar has been recorded it will be posted uh, on the platform uh, in a few hours part one um, has been posted about two or three weeks ago uh, this is uh, our 99th uh, tech webinar so there is uh, about 98 that you can actually watch right now on ePartrade on podcast on youtube and uh, next week we'll be back uh, and we're going to be uh, uh, with the people from REM, uh, New England, uh, New England uh, uh, finishing, and we're going to be talking about uh, uh, you know pot finishing and uh, and uh, uh, treatment. So stay with us uh, for uh, uh, you know a few uh, more uh, sessions, uh, and uh, we're going to have a big announcement towards the end of the month as well with our good friends from Racer, and uh, and so again, thank you very very much for watching the webinar today we'll see you again next week in the meantime we're pushing Paget's uh, product on the homepage of ePart Trade so you can go on there click on it and you'll be connected uh, with the great team uh, at Paget so Jim uh, Ian Mark thank you very much it was thank great you, to have you on both sessions uh, wishing you a great uh, racing season hope to catch up with you guys at the track and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you again soon Thank you, right. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Judy. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, bye bye.